A shooting in Boulder, Colorado leaves 10 dead, and before a suspect could even be identified, Democrats in the media were already pointing fingers. Who was to blame? White men, of course. Trump supporters, even. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. This suspect has been identified as Ahmad Alyssa, 21 of Arvada. He has been charged with 10 counts of murder in the first degree and will be shortly transported to Boulder County Jail. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Appreciate you being with us today. It's a tough day for the country. We had 10 people who were just brutally gunned down uh, by a shooter in Boulder, Colorado. Understand, understandable that there would be a, a period here, a, a movement toward national mourning and that everybody would understand that this is a time to come together and not to overly politicize things. But of course, that's not what happens. Here we are the day after the shooting. We don't know very much about this at all. We know that 10 people were killed. We know a police officer responded to the scene. He was killed trying to stop the threat, trying to stop the shooter. And tragically, he left behind seven children and a wife. Uh, and yet already we're hearing from Democrats about what needs to be done to stop this. How can we know what would stop a shooting when we don't, when we don't know the motive, we don't know what led to the shooting? There's a lot that has yet to even be reported on, never mind confirmed by law enforcement. But they don't want to wait. This is the new Democrat reality that we're all living in. A crisis, an emotional moment is an opportunity to use government power to force people to do things or to give up rights that you normally would be unable to do. That's the point. That's what this is. A crisis for the left is an opportunity. Joe Biden seized it today while we're all still in shock and in a degree of national mourning here for a terrible incident in Boulder, Colorado. Here's what Joe Biden has to say about how we would stop this. While we're still waiting for more information regarding the shooter, his motive, the weapons he used, the guns, the magazines, the weapons, the modifications that apparently have taken place to those weapons that are involved here, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. Amazing, isn't it? While we still have a ton of things we need to know, Biden says, more or less, uh, we should take action based upon what I just want us to do anyway. Doesn't know if the gun was purchased legally, doesn't know so many of the circumstances around this, but let's change gun laws in order to address a problem we don't even know if the problem was in any way tied to any specific gun laws that could be changed or that they would change here. It's all about emotion and mobilization as quickly as possible before there can be good faith debate, before even all the facts are in. Biden's telling you that's what he wants to do. Before we even know what's really going on here, before we have any facts to work with beyond the most basic, he's saying let's take dramatic action to curtail Second Amendment rights. That's what he wants to do. AR-15 is the most common rifle in civilian hands in the United States. There are millions and millions of them out there. An assault rifle ban, he says. This is unsurprising. This is what they do. And if you disagree with them, Senator Murphy from Connecticut is there, among others, to let you know that you're a moral monster who should not be listened to. In fact, if you don't agree with the policy positions of Democrats in the aftermath of a tragedy, 
it's because you're encouraging, encouraging and, and telling these mass shooters that, quote, it's okay. And we're also a country that sends uh, an unintended uh, but meaningful message to mass shooters um, of endorsements. I mean, when Congress doesn't do anything um, year after year, decade after decade, in the wake of mass shooting after mass shooting, um, these minds that are starting to become unhinged uh, imply that it's okay. Um. They do not imply that it's okay uh, because of people not taking action on background checks. How much dumber could a member of the United States Senate actually be? You, you'd want to ask that question after this. He used, he used those words. You just heard him. That, you know, it's in, they're, they're basically saying it's okay. They're, they're giving some degree of approval to mass shootings because we won't restrict magazine capacity. This is what we're up against. But it's actually even worse than that. Because last night, there were a lot of people who were running around on social media, including prominent journalists, people who have platforms, uh, who are supposed to be held responsible for what they say in the public square, at least by the public, were out there saying things like this. Here is uh, Kamala Harris's niece. The Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat to our country. Now, I want to be very clear about this, okay? I, I want us to be very straightforward. There is nothing that you can say as a liberal, as a Democrat now, that is too degrading about white people. No matter what it is you say, it'll be considered okay, as long as you are denigrating whiteness. Denigration of whiteness is complete. In fact, it's not only is it all right, it's socially encouraged. That's why people do this. That's why they virtue signal with the denigration of whiteness all the time. Problem, of course, is that re referring to white uh, terrorists as the biggest threat to this country, or that white terrorism is the biggest threat to this country right now, right after a shooting, when we know that in fact the individual who committed the act, allegedly, but we know it, is this guy whose name is Ahmad al-Issa. He is a Muslim and, oh yes, he hates Trump. Trump, uh, here, he, 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 you see the individual here, the guy's 21 years old, he hates Donald Trump, sees Islamophobia everywhere. I mean, he's really somebody who you would expect to be watching MSNBC and reading Vox.com and reading the New York Times editorial page. I mean, that's the kind of mindset with Islamophobia that you could expect. Here he is on his Facebook page. He, he inherited a growing economy and the unemployment rate was low. But then he won because Trump won because racism. So the guy who shot up a grocery store for no, no reason that anybody can even point to right now was a Muslim anti-Trumper, uh, almost certainly a leftist. And we're told that this was because of white, white supremacy. Amazingly enough, there were people that are arguing that he's, it's close enough as a, as a Muslim and as an, as an Arab, a guy was born in Syria, as an Arab American, it's close enough to white that it still falls under the concept of white supremacy. That's what was being argued by blue check liberals on Twitter today. And here we have, I mean, Rosanna Arquette, I mean, these people are morons in Hollywood and a lot of the journals out there too. She was saying, call it what it is, white supremacist uh, domestic terrorism. Do you think that she feels dumb about this? Do you think that she has any, any problem with, the, with this now that it's it clearly, he's not a white guy and he's not a Trump supporter. So what does that do to the narrative all of a sudden? Here is the head of race and inclusion, or sorry, the race and inclusion 
editor at USA Today, a publication that still exists, Himal Javeri, it's always angry white men, always. That's what she said last night. It's always angry white men. Wow, isn't it fascinating? It was actually an Arab Muslim guy who hates Trump. I want you to be very clear on this because this is important. Uh, they're not embarrassed by this. The people that say these things, they aren't sad or they don't feel foolish. Uh, they don't have any ethical problem with being so wrong. This was an opportunity, don't you see? For leftists across the country, there's a mass shooting. They see an opportunity to spit in the faces of Republicans, of Trump supporters, of white men who don't agree with them politically, so white conservative men, they saw an opportunity to spit in those people's faces and they took it. And they have no regrets about that because that's who they are. That's what the left is all about. We have a pretext to be vicious to you, to blame you for something. We're not going to apologize. The whole point is that we got to have fun cursing you out, smearing you online. This is who the left is. This is who votes for Joe Biden. This is what the Democrat Party has become. There'll be no apologies for this. They don't care that they were wrong, that they lied, that they smeared people. Didn't matter. Let's move on to the next one. All right, President Biden and congressional Democrats are clearly using this tragedy already to push new gun control legislation. After the break, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from the state of Colorado will respond to all this. Stay right there. You never thought COVID-19 could cost you your home, right? Well, it just might. Here's why. Cybercrime is up about 75% overall during the pandemic, and by far the most serious cybercrime when it comes to your home is home title theft. That's right, cybercriminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes, and it's easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title, forges your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know about this usually until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. The instant Home Title Lock detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Then use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. It's been a little over 24 hours since the tragedy in a crowded Boulder supermarket where a gunman fatally shot and killed 10 people, and some elected officials have already started using the shooting to advance their political agenda. But not Colorado, uh, Colorado Republican Representative Lauren Boebert, who put out a statement saying she will not blame society at large for the sick actions of one man and will not allow lawbreakers to dictate the rights of law-abiding citizens. Representative Boebert joins us now from Colorado to discuss. Uh, Congresswoman, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Buck. So uh, here's what Joe Biden said today in response to the terrible shooting in Boulder. I wanted to have you react to it. Play it. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. The United States Senate, I hope some are listening, should immediately pass the two House passed bills that close loopholes in the background check system. These are bills that receive votes of both Republicans and Democrats in the House. This is not and should not be a partisan issue. 
This is an American issue. It will save lives. From day one, you have been, since the beginning of, of your time in office, Congresswoman, a, a Second Amendment defender. What's your reaction to Joe Biden calling on Congress to pass two bills or pass these two aspects of bills? Well, uh, first of all, I want to just express my heartfelt condolences to the family and loved ones of those who were killed in yesterday's horrible, horrendous attack. Um, it, it certainly is a tragedy on our community. And it's it's very unfortunate that we have uh, a president who wants to immediately restrict uh, Americans' rights to defend themselves because of one sick person's actions. Uh, you know, I know that some have, have chosen to criticize and ridicule the mi millions of Americans like myself who believe in the power of prayer. But I believe in a God who listens and a God who cares. And I'll continue to pray for the families and this entire situation. And just like you mentioned, I refuse to politicize this. Uh, we weren't one law away from pre preventing this yesterday. Colorado's universal background checks didn't prevent this, and the state's unconstitutional assault weapons ban uh, didn't stop uh, uh, Hamad uh, from having an AR-15. None of Colorado's gun control prevented this shooting, and no amount of gun control will ever prevent shootings like this one. But I know I want and I, I should always have the right to defend myself, and so should every other American. To me, I am upset that uh, potential law-abiding gun owners were discouraged from shopping at this King Supers in Boulder because of their stance on, gun, on their gun policy. And uh, there weren't people there who were able to neutralize the threat, and a loan officer was sent in with a gun and uh, unfortunately, he lost his life. And uh, this is this is something that I don't want to see happen in America. Um, but unfortunately, there are bad people who do bad things, and we never know when they're going to act on the thoughts that are consuming uh, them. And we need to have a way to protect ourselves, and it doesn't come through legislation. Congressman, you, you mentioned a few, I think, key things, but you're a representative from Colorado, so you know the state law there when it comes to guns particularly well. So there already is, in effect, a, an assault weapons ban in your state. There already are uh, uh, expanded background checks in your state. I think people, because this is now already with the president of the United States calling for immediate congressional action, even raising the prospect of executive action to deal with this, it's, it is a political, uh, political issue now how this will be handled, what's going to happen from a legislative standpoint. So what are some of those laws that folks should be aware of that did not uh, prevent this and that were broken in the commission, obviously other than committing 10 uh, first-degree murders, what were the gun laws that were broken in the commission of this crime that are already existing? Well, Buck, we just saw in, in Boulder, there, there was an assault weapons ban and uh, a, uh, a ban on magazines larger than 10 rounds. And a court just recently um, said that that was unconstitutional and overturned that. And now on the heels of that, we're faced with this tragedy. But that doesn't mean we need to restrict uh, the constitutional rights of those who live in Colorado. Uh, we already have emergency response orders. We have red flag laws um, that uh, are in place in Colorado, which are very unconstitutional. We have a 15-round magazine um, ban on uh, on these uh, 
I, I don't call them assault rifles, but the so-called assault rifles on uh, AR-15s and high-capacity um, rifles. And none of this would have, have stopped this situation. Um, it's already illegal to go in and open fire at all and, of course, uh, take the lives of, of these people, these, these 10 people who we saw um, tragically lose their lives yesterday. But, you know, details about the shooter and his motivations, they're still coming out. And we need to know more about what happened yesterday. Uh, we know that the shooter's name is uh, Hamad Alisa. We're hearing that he couldn't stand President Trump and, uh, you know, that he, he saw racism everywhere and that he claimed to believe in Islam. But there's still a lot that we don't know about this situation, Buck. Um, while we're dealing with this senseless tragedy and mourning the loss of life, um, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to blame society at large for sick for one sick individual's act of violence. And I'm not going to allow um, lawbreakers to reduce the rights of law-abiding citizen. Uh, I, I think it is uh, unjust for President Biden to call on Congress to enact more legislation to restrict the rights of individual. As a member of Congress, I know my first order of duty is to secure and defend the Constitution of the United States, to protect the rights of the citizens that I represent, not take them away, not give them away. I will always stand for everyone's right to defend themselves. Congresswoman, I want to also ask about the crisis going on at the border. I know today there's a particular focus, obviously, on the terrible shooting in your home state, and, and my condolences to all Coloradans. Uh, but I, I also want to ask you about what's going on at the U.S.-Mexico border um, we have a crisis going on there. It seems like there is an effort to evade accountability from his current administration. Joe Biden says he's not going down there anytime soon. He knows what's going on. Here's what Kamala Harris said when asked about whether she's going to the border. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have before and I'm sure I will again. Yeah. I'm sure I will again. Uh, there does seem to be a lack of urgency and a lack of transparency on this border crisis. I wanted you to tell us what you're seeing. Yes, uh, unfortunately, that was a very cavalier response from the Vice President of the United States of America. There is a crisis at the border. It is Biden's border crisis that we are facing. I went down to the border earlier this year, and we had not yet reached uh, these extreme numbers at that time. But Border Patrol agents were warning us that this was coming. They knew that the rhetoric had already started, that the calls were already made uh, from the Biden administration uh, for people to surge the border. And they knew that this was coming. Um, coming out of a, a uh, Trump administration where he did so much to secure our border, built so much of that big, beautiful sort of southern wall. And then on the first day, uh, President Biden signed an executive order to halt construction. I saw the construction equipment lying there and, uh, and material wasting away and big gaping holes in our southern border where they are unsecure. Border Patrol agents saying we need this wall complete. Uh, we we don't have the resources to man an unwalled, an unsecure border. And now we have thousands of people coming across our border. We've seen now inside what these uh, what these tents look like um, and uh, these these holding locations for the illegal aliens that are crossing. We are hearing that they are COVID positive, that there's not testing going on, um, that the 
others are being released into our country. Um, there's been catch and release implemented. But I can go on and on with all of the horrible things that are happening at our southern border. And unfortunately, uh, we have Congress that wants to just spend $1.9 trillion or uh, just get boys into women's sports and boys into girls' bathrooms instead of dealing with true crisis that they have created. Congresswoman Boebert, appreciate your perspective on all this. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much, Beck. Democrats are eyeing a number of radical proposals that would fundamentally alter the balance of power in the United States and turn the GOP into a permanent minority party. They're playing for keeps, folks. We got more on that coming up in the Buck Brief. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? I know exactly what that feels like because until about a year ago, that was me. I love the idea of real estate investment in theory, but I didn't know how to stay committed to everything I've got going on while getting started in real estate investing and not making some big rookie mistakes. Like you, I'm really busy, so how was I ever going to get started? Well, then I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. That's right, doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey today. Democrats wasted no time in calling for new gun control laws in the wake of Monday's deadly shooting. But that's not the only change they're looking to implement the coming days. Congressional Democrats are increasingly calling for the end of the Senate filibuster, a move that would clear the way for their legislative agenda. There's also a growing chorus of left-wing voices calling for statehood to be granted to Washington, D.C. So what's behind Democrats' latest push for radical change? Power, pure and simple. Let's take a closer look in tonight's Buck Brief. Remember during the Trump presidency when there was all this talk about our institutions and how Trump was destroying or undermining, that was their favorite one, undermining our sacred institutions of, our, of government and our democracy. Uh, there was all this talk about the need to respect the system and how anybody who didn't show due deference to the system was un-American and, and a threat actually to this country. Well, that was then. That was when there was a Republican president. Now you've got a Democrat president, and wow, do things change quickly. Oh, things like the filibuster, which you should know the Democrats used many times against Republicans to prevent them from passing legislation under the Trump presidency. Now, suddenly, the filibuster goes from important tool to protect the political minority from being steamrolled by the majority to that thing's really annoying. we got to get rid of it. In fact, it's worse than that. It's racist. We'll get to that. But, but in the meantime, understand this. Uh, we're going to tie, they're going to tie everything they can to the filibuster. Anything that they can't get done. Uh, gun control, for example, they're going to blame on the filibuster to add to pressure. Here's what they say. 
We've passed two important initial pieces on, on gun violence prevention. The problem is in the Senate. Even with a majority, a slim majority, because of the filibuster, it's going to be very, very difficult to get anything done. You know, the filibuster to, to many of us is a, a tool, an instrument for government gridlock. And um, we need action and we need it right away. So what are you calling for today? Well, we need to do away with the filibuster. We need to do away with the filibuster. I like it, the, the CNN anchor there tees it up for her because she knows what she's going to say. This is now just adding. We need to do away with the filibuster for gun control. We need to do away with the filibuster for amnesty, for D.C. statehood, for anything, for H.R. 1. Anything Democrats want that Republicans won't go along with is grounds for eliminating the filibuster because it's so important. It's so important. It's obstruction for Republicans to believe things and not agree with Democrats and everything. Don't you know that? That's the, those are the rules, the rules right now. That's how this all goes. Senator Elizabeth Warren said this, the filibuster, oh, not to be outdone here, of course, the filibuster is racist, has deep roots in racism, should not be permitted to serve that function or to create a veto for the minority in a democracy, its majority rules. Elizabeth Warren has been in the Senate for quite some time. Do you think that this was her opinion when Barack Obama had a Senate majority at his disposal as a Democrat? Right. Do you, do you think do you think that this was I'm sorry, when when uh, the Democrats rather under the Trump administration were in the minority in the Senate? I'm sure it actually was her opinion. Scratch that was her opinion on Barack Obama. But when Republicans under Donald Trump had a majority, do you think that that was what she believed? No, it was not. No, it was not. Um, this is all situational ethics on display. The principle changes. It's also very malleable depending on what is of greatest political expedience to Democrats in the moment. It's, it's so convenient. They're so lucky that they have this. Here is uh, Labor Secretary Robert Reich on the uh, issue of the D.C. statehood, another place we're supposed to consider getting. D.C. is 46% black, zero senators. Wyoming is 1% black, has two senators. D.C. has 120,000 more people than Wyoming. Opposition to D.C. statehood is racist. Ah, yes. Elizabeth Warren says it. Robert uh, Reich uh, says it. And that's where we are now. Opposition to D.C. statehood. Because that's another place where if you don't agree with Democrats, it's racist which isn't, that's, that's a new argument they're making now. Shouldn't be surprising. Oh, uh, Congresswoman Presley also wants you to know that D.C. statehood is about racial justice now. Play it. There have been only two black elected governors in the history of this country. Massachusetts had one of them, Deval Patrick. Now, in more than 230 years, only two black governors. I'm going to make it plain. D.C. statehood is a racial justice issue. And racism kills. And I don't just mean police brutality and hate crimes and food apartheid systems and transportation deserts and unequal access to health care. I mean all of that, too. But racism kills our democracy. What is a, she said, a a food apartheid system? I will tell you, that is a new one. I have not heard that before. A food apartheid system in this country. She's saying it exists, it exists now. And, uh, and transportation deserts, that one I can figure out, because they used to say food desert, that was the term. Uh, and then they actually did research into this, they found out it's really not what, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. 
uh, it's the market responding to incentives based on what people actually buy in different communities in different neighborhoods. It's not that there's an unwillingness to you know, sell kale to people, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, what does the Constitution actually say about the D, about D.C. statehood? Quote, the Congress shall have power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 square miles as made by secession of particular states and the acceptance of Congress to become the seat of government of the United States. So they, they dealt with this issue. It's also written about the Federalist Papers. They, they, this is not a new thing that D.C., the founders looked at it and said, should not actually be a state. That, that's, that's, we, we don't want to conflate this. We don't want it to be a state. Um, but now it's about the naked power grab. Now it's about just take what you can and run with it. That's what Democrats are doing. And they'll justify whatever they can in that process. And then there's, uh, speaking of naked paragraphs, uh, there's the Chuck Schumer amnesty push. Remember, it's not just legal status. It's let's get people who are in this country illegally the right to vote as quickly as possible. Here's Schumer. My strongest desire is to pass comprehensive immigration reform. I've felt that way since 2013 when the House blocked it. And we'll do everything we can to explore that area. Um, the House hasn't sent us the comprehensive bill yet. Uh, they're in the process of sending us other legislation. We want to get do, do as much as we can to uh, make immigrants welcome in America, to make sure that America uh, integrates Im immigrants into our system of government, and we'll keep fighting to get as bold and strong a bill as we can. Mm. It's been said a million times, but if Democrats didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards. Now it's all about do what we say or else, get rid of the filibuster, uh, whatever we have to do, we'll do. But when they're in the political minority, all of a sudden, checks and balances, the system, it matters a lot, sure. Anti-Asian hate crimes reportedly on the rise around the U.S., which has led many on the left without evidence to point the finger at former President Donald Trump. But are Democrats really a friend to the Asian American community? Lauren Chen is, uh, is going to join us to give her, give her take when we come back. Last week, eight people were killed when a lone gunman went on a shooting spree in three Atlanta-area spas. Six of those murdered were Asian women, two were not. And although the FBI had zero evidence to, uh, the event was a hate crime, some on the left believe the fatal shootings were, in fact, racially motivated. Here is Illinois Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth. Well, from where I sit, I want to see a deeper investigation into whether or not these shootings and other similar crimes are racially motivated. It looks racially motivated to me, uh, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a police officer. I'm not investigating the crimes. Others on the left and in the mainstream media are taking it one step further, blaming Asian hate crimes on white supremacy. Take a look at these headlines. How white supremacy fuels black Asian tensions in America. White supremacy and hate are haunting Asian Americans, and from the school newspaper of the University of Washington, how white supremacy racist myths fuel anti-Asian violence. But is the woke left really a friend to the Asian community? Our next guest says, absolutely not. She joins us now to discuss. We've got political and social commentator Lauren Chen with us now. Lauren, thanks so much for being with us. For sure. Thank you for having me. So what do you make now that we're obviously spending a, a lot of time talking about mass shootings, motivations behind them. We've had two in two weeks. Uh, what do you make of the initial analysis that was coming out of most of the media after the Atlanta shootings? 
Well, first I want to say that, of course, any type of prejudice or bigotry is wrong. And then if you add violence into the mix, it's even more tragic. But I've got to say, I I'm sorry, I don't really buy a lot of this moral posturing that we're seeing from the left on behalf of the Asian community. For the longest time, we have seen the left actually push measures that directly hurt Asians. And I'm talking about things like affirmative action. If you're an Asian student applying to a high school or a college, you have a much smaller chance of getting in than if you were a different race. It's literally a systemic racial discrimination that we've seen being pushed on, on behalf of progressives. And not only that, uh, the violence against Asians has been on the rise for, for quite a while now. But we see that it seems when, when the perpetrators of these hate crimes are frankly non-white, and we have seen quite a few of these attackers be from the black community, the media just pushes it aside and doesn't address it. So it kind of seems like the left is only in defense of Asians when it's politically convenient for them. Yes, and, and to that end, I've, I've even seen the term referring to Asians from analysts uh, and people in the media, white adjacent, which I will say was, was new, but this is how some particularly woke leftists will, refuse, will refer to the Asian community. They'll say that they're white adjacent when it comes to things like the highest per capita household income in the country, which belongs to Asian Americans actually, not white Americans, when it comes to admissions and the, uh, the negative effects of, of, uh, of affirmative action or kind of anti-affirmative action effects, that would be against the Asian community more so than the white community. Uh, what, does, what does white adjacent really mean? Well, it essentially means that Asians dispel the oppression narrative that the left has spun for all minorities. So, you know, instead of trying to reevaluate their worldview in order to match the facts, they would rather just throw Asians under the bus. Uh, Asians get called, uh, like you said, white adjacent. They 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 claim that we're we have proximity to whiteness. It's all very bizarre. I've been called a pet minority before, and essentially it, it, it's just to make up for the fact that Asians are successful, right? Because otherwise, if Asians like they in fact do have a higher per capita income than white Americans, it, it seems hard to call America a white supremacist country. So instead, they would rather believe that Asians are just white bootlickers, which I have also been called, and it's very very offensive. Vox, which as you know is very woke and very left-wing, wrote this in the aftermath of the shootings in Atlanta. Ultimately, there's a failure to remember what got America to this place of racial hierarchies and lingering black Asian tensions, white supremacy. White supremacy is what created segregation, policing, and scarcity of resources in low-income neighborhoods, as well as the creation of the model minority myth, all of which has driven a wedge between black and Asian communities. I mean, this is fascinating that uh, this is Vox trying to address the reality, which is a, a numbers-based reality, that the highest percentage of any group when it comes to attacks on Asian Americans comes from black Americans, uh, who, as we know, are about 12 to 15% of the US population overall, and account for about 27% by the most recent statistics of attacks on Asian Americans. So here, Lauren, we have the Democrat left explaining to everybody that attacks on Asians from black Americans are also the result of white supremacy. Please, please explain that one. Well, it's nothing short of mental gymnastics, frankly. People want to blame 
white supremacy for black Americans attacking Asian Americans. Uh, I guess it's always white people's fault is, is the main message I'm getting from 2021. But the reason they're trying to bring white supremacy into this is because as we know, the left does not like to um, hold any sort of accountability when it comes to black communities. It's it's very patronizing actually, if you listen to the progressive left talk, they, they treat these communities as if they're children with uh, no independent thought or will of their own. So in of trying to hold individuals accountable for their bad behavior, they would rather make this a systemic problem that has nothing to do with these communities itself. Um, this is not, you know, blaming white people is not going to improve relations between black and Asian communities. And I think if anything, it's just going to inflame tensions because I think what we're seeing now is this, this failure to hold the perpetrators of these attacks responsible. And if the left actually cared about Asians like they are pretending they do currently, they would want these people brought to justice regardless regardless of their skin color. Here's what Democratic Representative Lee said about those Atlanta shootings. Play it. We have to remember hate speech leads to hate violence. And uh, listening to this type of hate for the last four years, it didn't just start recently, uh, has put the Asian uh, Pacific American community at risk. And we're now seeing uh, this uh, unfortunate uh, backlash uh, and unfortunate embracing of uh, Donald Trump's uh, overall agenda. Remember, uh, his agenda was based on white supremacy and the roots of all of this are white supremacy. Yes, it's Donald Trump's fault. This was being said last week, including the surge in attacks on Asian Americans, which have come uh, more so from the black community than any other one specific community. Donald Trump's fault, Lauren, that's what they tell us. Yeah, it's kind of strange and hard to believe uh, that Donald Trump's rhetoric would have had such a such an effect on the actions of these black attackers uh, who I'm just going to go out on a limb here and may not otherwise be the biggest supporters of Donald Trump. But we've seen this type of assertion from the left for years. Uh, no, it is not hate speech or racist to, co to correctly identify the fact that coronavirus came from China, nor is it anti-Asian to criticize the Chinese government. In fact, uh, where my family is from on my father's side, Hong Kong, uh, they're some of the biggest critics of the Chinese government. And I, I would find it very hard to call them racist or anti-Chinese. But if you ask me, this is just another way for the left to try to weaponize the allegation of racism, which we have seen them do for the past five years at least. Lauren, really appreciate you joining, sharing your perspective. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Up next, we've got tonight's quick hits. Stay with us. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed this world we're living in is anything but predictable. The government's passing massive spending bills, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency, and many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now. Learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD, 
One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Vice President Kamala Harris snubs U.S. servicemen and Governor Gretchen Whitmer is an official member of the Fauciite cult. Those stories are up now in Quick Hits. Let's get to it. Uh, look, last week we had Joe Biden turning the steps to Air Force One into a slip and slide. And a, a lot of people had thoughts about that. Uh, this guy, not up for the job, looks like he's deteriorating. But also just the way that the media jumped all over Trump because he slipped down a ramp at West Point and that was the cause of all kinds of front page articles about, you know, Slipgate or whatever they're calling it. And uh, now we have another incident involving taxpayer funded uh, air transport for senior level officials. This one with Kamala Harris and uh, involving a member of the armed services play. I mean, we probably played that clip long. <laughs> we just need to show the beginning where she does. But anyway, you got the idea. Uh, she did not salute. Now, is this just a forgetting of protocols? People would argue that, to be sure. But other people feel like, yeah, but does she really, you know, when you walk past somebody and they salute, and you're the vice president, don't you salute back? I mean, you're the number two after the commander in chief, right? That's a, isn't that an expectation that you'd have? I don't know. It's early in the job. You'd think maybe she would pay close attention to some of these protocol issues. But anyway. You know what we're paying close attention to? What's in the background, apparently, of Gretchen Whitmer's uh, Skype calls here. She was on MSNBC, and in the background, this was amazing. I mean, do you see that there? She's got a pillow with Fauci's face on it. You cannot make this stuff up, folks. A pillow with Fauci's face on it. I mean, honestly, personally, I, I would rather that she had, at this point, a pillow of, you know, <laughs> Karl Marx in the background, okay? I'd rather, I'd rather Engels uh, be in the background. Hey, anybody but Fauci, the little uh, health policy Stalinist. But it goes to show you the ideological affiliation here. It's very clear. Whitmer is a major lockdowner. She was absolutely adamant that it was the right thing to do in her state. We're going to find out soon that she had her own nursing, Cuomo-style nursing home disaster in her state. And then the media will try to cover for her and they'll say it's sexist and that's why we're attacking her or whatever. But you know, the lockdowners were wrong. They seized power. They used panic and fear to do whatever they wanted. They shut down dissent and they made catastrophically bad decisions that did not bring the health benefits that we were promised, not by a mile, not even close. That's our reality. But yeah, a pillow of Fauci in the background, that, uh, that tyrannical little bureaucrat smurf. Uh, they, they really think that this is the guy we should all be listening to. He should be in charge of really whatever he wants in this country. And it's all for your health, folks. That's what they tell you. I mentioned Cuomo. I didn't want to leave this out. I've been saying from the beginning, he's not going anywhere. And then I will say the last couple of weeks, I started to feel like, I don't know, all this Me Too stuff, but I should have just stuck with my initial, my initial feelings on this because this is all this guy does. He doesn't care what you think of him. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. As long as he gets to keep his fingers on power in New York State, that's what matters to him. So the governor of New York, in response to a supporter, let, let his plan, in case you didn't know, be known. We need you at the finish line. Stay here. I'm staying here. 
I'm not going anywhere, darling. Now, I know you could say that's a, a throwaway moment. Uh, that's something that, you know, we don't have to really think too much about. But I think he's telling you exactly what's happening here. Because I don't think he is going anywhere. I think that he has no interest in giving up power. And just because people have figured out that he's a huge jerk, they already knew that before. And that's nothing new. Democrats are going to remove him from office? No, they're going to complain. They're going to whine. They're going to say he should step down. And then when he doesn't, they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, we did our part. And then when he comes after them, they'll say, well, we didn't remove you, so let's let bygones be bygones. Here, and here's a, a preview. He's not going to do that. He is going to uh, crush people that he thinks left him high and dry at this point. I think you can be pretty much assured of that one. So you've got Governor Cuomo, uh, who is going to likely stay. He's not going anywhere. Unfortunately for now, we have to go. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. We've got the No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly up next. Have a great night, everybody. Shields high.